You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I am Hody Johns, and I know what you're thinking. That's not Chris Spangle, and this is supposed to be the Chris Spangle show. Uh, you know those weeks, man, I remember these growing up where you would get, you would tune into R- the Rush Limbaugh show, and it's not Rush Limbaugh. And there's that feeling of disappointment. All I can say is I know exactly how you feel right now, and I'm right there with you. I am here with the best, the greatest the myself of course is who i'm talking about but i'm also here with reinhold uh reinhold the usual your usual chris bangle so you know what some of it is carrying over we're we're getting some blend reinhold how are you doing today i'm doing all right you're getting the worst of the chris bangle show right now with me coming on so no um, come on no i mean i don't want to choose between harry chris and reinhold that's a choice nobody wants to have to make that's Sophie's choice, right? yeah right no it's been a it's a been a good week Good. Busy, busy, busy week. So I'm glad for a break so I can do this. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I'm getting a birthday boy. Brian, happy birthday. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you. And uh, glad to be here. It's, uh, you know, a little early and it's been as just like uh, Reinhold said, it's been an insanely busy week, but uh, looking forward to uh, spending a quality birthday uh, cleaning out the garage after this is over. So uh Fun times. Fun times ahead. Fantastic. Well, you know, we got a special one today. You know, nobody can substitute what Chris Spangle does and the way he talks about it. And so you get uh, I'm I'm, going to do something completely different. I'm not even going to try to compete with what Chris does and his insights and his brains. Uh, I'm going to do something a little different. What we are going to do is we're going to talk about personal stories that we have had with government interactions that have been negative kind of things that have have made us into libertarians and and helped or i guess even if it's not something that even if we were libertarian beforehand something that helps shape us i find that as libertarians you hear us talk about national global very large sweeping issues and a lot of times these aren't personal and so as libertarians like man you're always complaining on behalf of somebody else and I feel like it's just important to hear that that it it's affected us as well. That that government overreach has hit us too. And and some people it's going to be big ways and small ways. I've gathered up a stories, some stories from some of my friends here um, that have that have gone through that. And of course, we're going to share our own personal stories as well. Um, but these are important to hear because then you say, okay, so this really does hit home. Because I think we're all, there's a Calvin and Hobbes comic, and in, in it, uh, they get robbed. And the dad says, I guess we're all someone else to someone else. 
Or maybe it's his mom that says that. One of his parents says that. And I remember that always struck me because I was like, man, that is so true. You just think it's the kind of thing that happens to somebody else that happens to you. And you're going to hear a lot of stories that just, it may be the someone else story. Maybe it's something that happened to you, but it's all happened to what one of us, to somebody that if you know us, then this is either stories about us or a close relationship. You are only one or two degrees removed from all of these stories that these are very close and personal. And so um, good morning, everybody. Glad to hear from you. Love to see you here. Uh, I'm just, I'm just so happy to have you with us. All right. So let's get, let's get started on this uh, heavy episode here. Brian, your birthday. I will allow you to go first and share your story of uh, government interaction in your life. Go ahead. I, I've got the probably the, the I guess I'll be called weird uh, the statist view of it, um, and it, it's going over how uh, the Department of Children's Services interacts um, with families. And I've been on the um, I guess I want to say the. Uh, the good end of receiving it. Um, one of the things that I always find is a problem with um, uh, with anarchism and things like that is that there are a lot of pieces that where government um, has to unfortunately step up when it comes into raising children. Um, I think it should be a last resort, but there are a lot of last resorts out there. And the one thing I, I, I don't want to see happen is um, a child being taken away from a family for, because some bureaucrat deemed them unworthy. That being said, um, I, I have, we adopted four kids out of foster care, as I've said before, uh, ad nauseum. Um, but they were good reasons. Uh, it wasn't that they were, you know, being, you know, they were poor, you know, oh, we don't want them being raised in poor families. There was abuse going on. Um, and in those cases, somebody had to step in. Um, as I said, it was someone's worst day, which ended up being our best day uh, when our kids got placed with us. So it's, you know, when you look at one side sees it as insanely unfair and the other side sees it as insanely fair, um, starting out with that, it, it, you know, there's a time where somebody where you want society or family to step in and, and help with families that are struggling. Um, but there are some times that you just can't do it. It's just like if someone uh, has a significant mental illness and refuses to get help or treatment, um, you just you can't do anything about it. Um, they have to want to change. And if they don't want to change due to various uh, psychological or, or drug dependency issues, they, they're going to be that way. And you have to go in and save these kids. So looking at that, um, the government's been very involved in our lives. Uh, for the first like decade, we had our kids with us, uh, whether it was silly home studies, um, <clears throat> daily follow ups, uh, things like that, where they were coming into our house. We welcomed them. We welcomed them, obviously, because if we didn't. They, our kids wouldn't be here. But you see the waste in the system. and You also see the politics. And for something that really good that happened to our family, we saw all the terrible things they were doing to other families. Um, we were the, on the receiving end of foster kids. We were on the receiving end of a, a number of kids that probably shouldn't have been uh, taken out. But the vast majority pretty much should have been a long time ago. So looking at that, um, you know, it, it's hard to 
get, you know, looking at it as a, as a totally negative experience, obviously it's a net positive. My kids are now grown and they've turned into mostly responsible adult children. Thank you very much. Uh, but, uh, they, um, they really, I mean, I think of where their lives would have been if no, nothing was there to help them or their families, or if they just let things go that the cycle of abuse that we see would just continue. I know that the parents that lost them um, grieved in their own way. Uh, in some cases, there was some relief. But, um, you know, that being said, I think the that the government intrusion has to be balanced. Somehow we have to get better at managing that as opposed to eliminating it. Because when we eliminate it, I don't know if there's anything there besides um, uh, basically the equivalent of a posse or HOA uh, management walking in and saying, you're not doing a good job of raising your kids. And, and that's what concerns me the most. So, you know, I think there is a time that <clears throat> I think libertarians, as you've kind of noticed, we, we get in the, the habit of, of saying that everything that the government is doing is not necessary. And there's some things like, uh, there's some things that aren't necessary, you know, uh, uh, a bit of, bit of road piracy here, a bit of, uh, taxation there, whatever you want to point to, it says is unnecessary, but then you look at some things and you just kind of say like, okay, like that, this is a time when somebody has to step in and do something. Um, and I, and I think that it's, it's okay to say like, I do want this done. I just don't want my politician or bureaucrat or whatever it is to do it. Um, but yeah, as you've noticed, like there, there's, breakdowns in communication and and i'm glad that that your foster kids found you and and a healthy home and that that's they they may disagree with you some days but uh, (laughs) i'm sure they're i'm sure if they see the old situation it sounds like they they do they they would change yeah i i I will never claim to be perfect sorry sorry reynolds go ahead i'm fine um it's something that a lot of people get get confused with on on the whole libertarian thing and um just because something is being done by the government doesn't mean it's not a necessary thing to be done. So there, there are a lot of things that government does that we need to have done. We believe that it would be done better if it were a non-forced, non-government um, solution. But since that solution doesn't exist, something has to exist or we, for, for some things. I mean, there's just, there's just no getting around that, right? So... That's the world that libertarians have to live in, and a lot of a lot of libertarians don't seem to grasp that. Now, my take on it has always been: we should be out there if we really believe in what we're saying. We should be out there living that and doing that and finding solutions for those things, because there's no reason not to. I mean, the government isn't telling us we can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if we could find solutions for poverty or um, other issues you know family family issues like this if we can find better solutions and put them in place so that the government doesn't need to come in and do that work anymore then people will stop having the government do it because there's no need for it Um, the problem is is nobody's doing that everybody's waiting for the government to stop doing it before they start building up a solution and that's never going to be that's that's never going to convince anybody um, to go that route because they know that there's a need that's there it has to be filled some way um so they're taking the only option available to them right now which is government and that's the biggest problem 
with how I view a lot of people um, on, on both sides of the aisle on the left and the right is that they see the problems. They want to fix it. They only think government is the solution, mm-hmm. right? If yeah. we would get out there and fix the things like a good, a good political leader to me would be somebody who'd come up and said, we're going to publicize that there's a need for this. We're going to provide you ways to do this on your own and solve it on your own and make it, make it a, um, a point to do right. And find and find us, you know, they can come up with solutions that doesn't require them to go and have a law made if they wanted to, right. If that was the push. So um, that's what I look for in any kind of political leader is finding, finding a way to do those things without, you know, requiring putting a gun to your head to make it happen. Yeah, there's um, and I don't want to hijack. Obviously, I'm the I'm the I'm the anarchist in the room here with with uh, with some friendly minarchists here. <laughs> I don't want to hijack Chris's show. I mean, the yeah. the, uh, the idea is I'm not I'm not here to preach the fundamentals of philosophy or how it would work. Or so we we do that way too often. I mean, if we just talk about scaling this back, one of my favorite TED talks ever is Molly McGrath Tierney. If you listen to a lot of me, you've probably heard me talk about this before it's called rethinking foster care i'm going to go ahead and link that in the comments um and it is one now she's not an anarchist she actually works for i I think the baltimore child protected protection services um and talks about how this is like taking kids away is is they're incentivized to do it they're expected to do it it's something they're doing it's something that she actually tries to fix the home first she's they by far have the most successful child protective services program as far as like lowest amounts of abuse and mm-hmm. and whatnot like that and it's done by trying to reform the, the families first now as brian yeah. said there are times she, even she is like yeah we got to get them out of here first and there yeah. that just that happens but it's one of those where it's like she kind of blows the lid on the government you know t- taking them away immediately 98 percent of the time when when it would be better to just fix the home or it was a simple mistake or helping them out. And I, I'm going to go ahead and link that right now. Um, Reinhold, why don't you share uh, a, a story that you have, my friend? Um, well, you know, being a um, white male, I've never had any negative interactions at all with the uh, government in any way. Bro saying. So, <laughs> no, I'm just uh, obviously joking. Um, I can think of a, a few dozen probably, but a couple good ones that come to mind uh, are partially because of where I live. I live in the state of Indiana, which is for some reason wants to be the daddy of everybody and tell everybody how they, they should live. Um, so the, the lighter note would be the ones where um, I was making a side living playing poker online. And then one day, they decided it's going to be illegal to do that now. Right. So I had income coming in from playing poker and then just on black Friday, just it was gone. You know, that, that income is gone now. So I didn't, and a lot of people couldn't even get to the money that they had in the systems. Right. It took like a year or two for people to get that money out of those systems. Uh, Cause it was all frozen. And, and that was an, an interesting one where the federal, the U.S. federal government decided to tell companies operating in other countries that they can't operate or service people inside the United States, right? And by they did that by taking over their domain names, 
right? And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how they thought they had the authority to do this. I don't know where that comes from, uh, but that was one of the things that they did. And that's, you know, that's kind of a, a minor annoyance one. Uh, but the bigger one is my wife um, was diagnosed with cancer um, about 10 years ago. Uh, coming up on, it's been nine years now, I think it was nine years, September. Um, and it was stage four, it was very serious cancer. And she had to go through two years of chemotherapy, had a second occurrence, had to go through more chemotherapy for that. During that time, she was not allowed to even discuss possible alternatives to the nausea that she had and the symptoms that she got from the chemotherapy, which was so devastating to her body um just trying to fight off this disease so uh she would bring up you know could i could i maybe smoke some marijuana and the doctor had to turn away and ignore her because the law states that if he acknowledges it he can lose his license and possibly go to jail so she had to kind of figure that kind of way out and in order to to solve that problem you know, we have to make the choice. Do we break the law, potentially losing my job, potentially losing my insurance that's helping pay for, keep her alive just because there is an option for her to fight the nausea and other symptoms that she was having from chemotherapy because some people decided that nobody should be allowed to do that. You know, what gives people the right to do that, to tell my wife and myself that we have to risk losing our, our liberty, our, our security going, we have to go to jail. We have to lose my job. We have to lose my insurance. She's going to die because they won't let her legally go get a medicine that most doctors, 99% of the doctors say is very effective at fighting the exact thing that she was trying to treat. Right. And that's what really irritates me the most is that they make these decisions about your life, your health, things that you have to do. And they put the force of government behind it. They put the gun to your head and they put you in a position where you have to make choices that could ruin your life. And it shouldn't have to be that way. There's no reason it should have to be that way. So, yeah, that's definitely. that's one example for me. Right. I it's you know the funny thing is if that there if there was no enforcement of that law if um, the various state agencies and things like that doctors probably wouldn't be as worried but you know that there's some bureaucrat some politician who is going to quote do something about this and and, and the, is probably sending people out to 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 entrap doctors in those oh, in those discussions definitely I mean yeah. there there there's stories about people who were going out and basically just pretending that they had illnesses and asking those questions and seeing if they get people to fall, you know, fall for it. Yeah. But it's also the selective enforcement too. Yep. You know, I probably can get away with doing some things because I don't come off as somebody who they're targeting or would put in a high bracket of, Oh, these, this guy's going out and getting illegal drugs. But what if I fit more of a mold, mm -hmm. you know, 
more more of a uh, identity that would be do, be more likely to do that as, a, as according to the statistics, right. right? According to yeah, whatever numbers that the bureaucrats have pulled out of their keystone. Yeah, yeah, if I lived in a in a, in a poorer area, mm-hmm. if I had a different skin color, you know, there's so many different things that the police will go, oh, we better keep an eye on this guy because he fits this profile. And they say they don't profile, but they profile because they do yeah. it all the time. And they, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, they they all they don't profile. They don't have quotas. They have standards. Uh, that's the term we ever asked and said, so "Do you guys have a quota for arrests?" Um, just like when it gets back to DCS, you know, they have to. They plan. You should be removing X amount of children. You should be doing this. It's 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 building to the least common denominator, making things so so structured and rigid that nobody has any common sense other than saying, well, I have to do this because it's the law. It doesn't matter. I mean, this is this is insane. And thankfully, some states, uh, just to point out, like Michigan, Illinois, um, Ohio, and uh, I think Ohio's got pretty much in Kentucky now as well. I mean, India is pretty much surrounded at this point. Uh, at some point, the states just say, just forget it. It's going to be here. Just deal with you, it. Utah did it. Like yeah. if, I mean, yeah. when Utah's ahead of Indiana, problems, man. <laughs> I've always said that Indiana is probably going to be the last state to fully legalize marijuana, just because there's this mindset here that you know they know better than me on how to how to do certain things. Now they'll fight and complain if you say, "Oh, wear a mask or this," you know, because they're they're going to fight that tyranny. But something like this is it's it's mind boggling how they just don't see the hypocrisy. <clears throat> That they think they know so much better about how to live my life than I do. I, I I think it's just more. At least I've seen this personally that people are coming around to it, um, like uh, same sex marriage in the state of Indiana and things like that. You know, we had Pence for a while. Thank you, Pence, for screwing up concert tours for me when you were in uh, office here. Um, but uh, that people are coming around. And when you look at the numbers, and I mean, Dennis, you and I can go back. Did you ever think that not only would marijuana be legalized in any state in this in this country, gay marriage, all the other things that you and I grew up with that were not even talked about? We're just absolutely that this this is the worst thing you can be thinking of doing are slowly becoming legal. And India is just a laggard in some of these things. So I I think it's going to happen. Yeah. I always thought they would happen because eventually people are just going to get tired of it. And if you look at the polling, the polling shows the majority of people want this stuff, right? The majority of yeah. people supported same-sex marriage. Once it started to hit the majority of people, the politicians start to listen. Yeah. Once you get, you know, uh, in Indiana, the majority of people in Indiana want legal marijuana. Well, That's the reality of it. But it's not happening because it takes – We have we have politicians now who are very adept – Gaining political power by setting people against each other, right? Oh yeah, and finding some some issue that is most likely not an issue, but making it a huge one and making people go, "I don't care about everything else. This is the thing I need to have this person in because of that," right? And it's like, what do you? I mean. People don't see it, right? And that's the thing is that it's it's easy to manipulate somebody through emotions. Yeah, um, very very strong, especially anger, uh, disgust, hate, that sort of thing. Those are very strong and easy to manipulate emotions. 
Um, and of all the things that we teach in schools these days, learning how to critically think and learning how to identify propaganda and how you be manipulated. Those are, those are the things that should, should be taught. Right. So those are the, those are the things that um, you teach somebody how to think, you teach somebody how to learn, and then you let them go learn all the day. You don't have to sit there and recite dates to people and tell them all this stuff. Let they, that information is available. You just have to give them the desire to want that stuff. You have to give them the knowledge on how to interpret what you're reading, on how to uh, become a better learner. Then people will crave it and do it themselves. And most people nowadays, when they're in school, are so bored and angered and, and they, they don't have anything to do with learning because it's it's such a horrible process that they have to go through now. It's not We're not teaching people well enough in my opinion on that on how to identify how they're being manipulated by politicians but that gets right back to what are the schools wanting to do they're wanting to have an assembly line of you know bodies come in we we play with their minds for 13 years we push them out the door and do it the most efficient way possible don't don't sit there and put any thought into it or any um, you know, giving anybody what they want, just let's get as many bodies out the door as we can so we can check off a box and say that we're awesome. What's the so problem with the government Government schools, the same with anything government, is you're introducing politics into a solution that doesn't need politics to solve, right? Schools should be good. Schools should be available to everybody. They should be accessible to everybody. We used to do that with private means. But the government got involved and the government started mandating that people go and government started paying for people to go and the government started dictating how those schools are going to be run. So as soon as you do that, you introduce politics into those that equation that does not need to be there. Yep. And now you've got politicians making decisions for people on on how to how to think almost by yep. doing that. And it's, you know, that's, it's like getting involved with the doctors and telling the doctors what they can do or getting involved with, with any industry that they have no business being in. You end up like, uh, you know, national endowment for the arts. They shouldn't be asking for any government money for there. Cause as soon as you let the government in there, then they start dictating what the NEA can support. They can't support. If you want that to be a totally free from government agency, it can't be a government agency. You have right. to make it a non-government organization and do it without getting taxpayer money to fund it. The, the tough part is the taxpayer money part, because obviously we'd love to see people choose their own schools. And I think the step of the, the funding follows the kids, not the schools. It's a step in the right direction, at least. So I, I, I just, I would love to see more schools, open up and start being competitive because you can tell you this much when a school is really good people not only fight like hell to get into that school but they'll lie cheat and steal to 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 say that they live in that district or whatever else we had a really good middle school here that my kids fortunately went to we were in the district so they got obviously in and it was a really good experience because they were like top 10 middle school in indiana but if you went you know eight miles either direction, you're out of district and it was a completely different experience. So um, I would love to see that um, more happen here. And that's one way to effectively uh, end government interference in those things, especially like we just had it up here in uh, Northern Indiana, 
one of the school board meetings during public comment, and it was about the mask mandates and stuff like that. Um, the police, uh, the Allen, I think it was the Allen County Sheriff's uh, Department came up and said that they should not run public comment due to concerns for safety in the building, which is always their go-to of, you know, well, we don't think this is going to be safe. So we're going to shut down speech and any questions about it. So, yeah, it, the school system is, is to say it's archaic is kind of kind. I mean, it, it is one of the least evolved industries that we have. And, and it's funny because, you know, systems and countries and stuff that are doing the better than us have, are kind of abandoning the system that we're doing and, and we're, we're stuck in it. Um, obviously nobody's doing a fantastic job at it, but you know, everybody's throwing more money and getting less results at it. America's not unique in that regard, but anyway, I don't want to hijack, uh, your story though, Reinhold, cause I think I, I, I actually want that to bleed into my story cause I can relate on both counts. Uh, your gambling one, um, so my brothers and I, we have this chat and every day there's some, there's some, and, and I get it. When you hear a gambler say something's a sure thing, that, that means it's often not a sure thing, but what they do is they post, he, he goes through all the gambles and he's like, Hey, look, if you bet $10 against the Knicks and $10 for the Knicks today, you can come out ahead $20 or something like, you know, they have these little deals where you actually can't lose. Like if you make two bets, one of them pays out more than the other one loses. And so you end up getting more money every time. Now, of course there's the sure thing. Sometimes like somebody will throw up a a dumb bet. They'll be like, Hey, uh, you know, you win a hundred dollars if Tom Brady doesn't throw 10 touchdown passes today. It's like, well, considering the NFL record is seven, that's not going to happen. So sure. I'll take that bet. I, this is literally free money. And it's probably about, I, I mean, I don't want to exaggerate it. It's probably about $25 a day, but it adds up and I'm not allowed to do it because I'm in Utah. My whole state has been on it. I cannot, I, I, I even, when I typed in my zip code, when I tried to sign up, they're like, yeah, I got bad news for you, son. You can't do it. And then I, of course, you know me, I tried to lie about my zip code. And they're like, yeah, we got where your phone's device is located at right now. And you can't do that. You can't make these bets. So, I mean, this is, I mean, it's $200 a week I'm missing out on. This is over $200 a week that I could just have, right? Because they just go through and they're like, make these two bets and you'll always win. And, you know, and and then of course there's the, the crazy bet that'll never happen, but I'm talking about literal sure thing bets and I can't do it. Part two, uh, the medical side, right? You know, Reinhold, I'm, I'm sorry about what your wife is going through. And, I, uh, Jamie goes through something very similar. So she doesn't have stage four cancer, but she has scoliosis. It's extremely painful. Um, and she was put on op- opioids very young, right? I mean, young, young. And, uh, it's a process every month. And it's a scary process pretty much every month because we just, she'll get these, she'll go see a doctor. And there's some prescriptions that the doctor is allowed to, allowed to write three, four at a time. There's some he's only allowed to write one, four. There's some that are good for three months that are some that are good for one month. So this is a monthly process of like seeing your doctor and checking in with them. And then you take those and you go to the pharmacy. And then the pharmacy has to confirm that with the doctor. And with the system. And there are some times when it's just like, oh, the doctor wrote this, but it, w- but when he wrote it, it was two days before your s- prescription I- I expired. And we're like, well, well, yeah, because, you know, we wanted, you know, ahead of time, 
Like we don't want to run out first. And it's like, yeah, so this, these two extra days aren't valid and just these, it's a process every month. And then the worst, and this has happened thankfully only a couple times in about the 10 years that we've been dating, but it's happened a couple of times is that they'll, and, and I got to say about every time they're like, Oh, there's some kind of problem, but we spend enough time with them on the phone and we talk them through it. But sometimes they're just like, yeah, sorry, we can't get a hold of the doctor to confirm our issue. We, you know, he's busy. One time he's on vacation. We can't fill your prescription. Now, when Jamie runs out of her prescription, this is not this. And, and I mean, it's only happened for it a day, a day at a time before, but it's not one of those like, oh, I have a headache now. She's rolling on the floor. Um, she actually got rug, rug burns um, from rolling around on the floor in agony. Um, suffers seizures. Um, and I've never, I, I, I've even been in the EMT before and I hadn't seen a seizure outside of like the hospital. And it is one of those, like, it was just the scariest. I mean, my, uh, it was terrifying and it was so, and I think when it's, again, it's just one of those things that you think happens to somebody else, but we're all somebody else to somebody else. And this is just one of those things that I don't think people think about because they just think the law is good enough for most people. But I'm just like, if you knew it wasn't good enough for Jamie, or if you were in my shoes, how hard would you be fighting against this? Like to to make it so that you could get these things over the counter. And then, um, so, so the, you know, now in Utah, we, we barely kind of legalize weed. There's of course, nobody's totally legalized it because of the way the federal law goes, but there's non-enforcement policies and allowing people to get certain licenses and medical exemptions and whatnot. And we just barely got some of that low hanging fruit. And the doctor got it and was like, all right, so good news. You know, I've got, I've got my license, so I don't have to, <laughs> so similar to what your doctor did, Reinhold, where he didn't have to pretend to not hear the suggestion anymore. He could actually be like, now I can not only hear the suggestion, I can recommend it. And I absolutely recommend it to you. And, and then here comes the issue, and this is where the FDA gets me. They have three business companies that are allowed to prescribe opioids. Um, but all of them are monopolized at the dosage range that they're at. So they don't compete. There's no competition there. There's only one of them that's allowed to, you know, give it in, you know, 100, you know, cc's. And only one that's allowed to, I'm not sure that Jamie does all the work on that, whatever, uh, milligrams, whatever it is they use, you know, only once they get 50. So we were, so we're on one, Jamie's on one. And so it's like, well, we want to slowly reduce this and then bump up the marijuana one, get you flipped over because, you know, much less side effects. It's going to be better for you. It's even better at pain management. And she goes for to go from like, you know, the one at 85, which costs us, you know, like $300 a month to go to like 60. Oh, that's $800 a month. If you're going to go down in dosage because that company's monopoly, you know, that's just where they're at. And it's like, okay, so we're kind of stuck here. And they actually <laughs> it like increases the lower the dose you get to try and keep you on opioids. <laughs> and it's just one of those that's, that is so patently corrupt, crony, awful. You look at countries that, you know, if they don't have their opioids regulated and these are patches that i mean i mean we're talking 20 dollars for a month it is a it, it is absurdly low that low 
price in in a in a free market, but scarcely any countries have it. You get, we we Jamie and I would have to move to, you know, uh, Lithuania or something like that in order in order to get these prices that we're talking about. And it's just it is painful. It's expensive. It's absurd. And um, it, it's hard to see. Like, and I, I get. I mean, this is a terror that we have once a month. Because like I said, like, we just have to hope they take it. We call, we cross our fingers. We know that that they're always going to be like, wait, this doesn't make sense. You've got this three months ago. There's still two days here, still one day here. Let me call this. And we just, every month there's this terror that she is going to be having these seizures, having this extreme pain, having this difficulty. And I... I get so upset because people act like this isn't a big deal. Like the FDA generally does a good job or something. And this is, this is the reality. This is it. And I don't, I don't care if they do a good, if you think they do a good job with their food pyramid or my plate or whatever it is these days, you know, the, your view of the FDA is not what mine is. And her story is kind of why I wanted to share, but yeah, go Mm -hmm. ahead, Ryan. Well, in defense of Lithuania, I grew up with two immigrants from Lithuania, and they say it's a beautiful country. So please don't knock Lithuania. It's a beautiful Not country. Tr- Audrey, hey. Rita, I'm, de- I'm here defending your country. Better opioids. Yeah. Love, <laughs> love you, Lithuania. Thank you. Um, that, um, yeah. I mean, there's just so, so much, um, you know, capture of the process by these big farmer groups, by big food, by big you know, oil by big, you know, toilet plungers, whatever. Um, all of these groups have dedicated legal staffs that are, you know, experienced in this and, and spend millions and millions of dollars a year, not just in lobbying, but just knowing the intricacies. And they usually have helped write the stupid bills that keep them in business. Um, I, I've seen that. I've seen you know, it's like when you see the kid that can't get a wheelchair because it's $15,000 and then the guys, the plans are on there to go to Home Depot and the Home Depot people build one out of PVC pipe for a hundred bucks with, with the electric motor and everything. It's, it's like, what the freaking hell's going on here? And that's just a wheelchair. That's not what you're going through with the meds and everything else. And once again, it gets back to we're, we're going to just make this process. This is the process. There is no, you know, uh, if you go outside the process, you have to file an appeal. The appeal will be reviewed in seven days by a person who will rubber stamp denying it, who will then go ahead. Then you do the second appeal, which then goes to another group who will then rubber stamp that denial. And then maybe you can get to a warm body. Oh, by the way, we've spent the last month and a half writhing on the floor because, you know, we could have just given this to you. So. And why do people go to the black market? Because there's a need that's unfulfilled and it's government getting in the way once again. And and we know it isn't just this. It's with things like Medicare where, you know, they give you 100 days now in a nursing home. If you have a serious event, 100 days, bye. doesn't matter where you're at and if you're able to care for yourself or not. It's, well, uh, you know, you got to have a really good reason to keep staying here. Otherwise, bye. Uh, you've been paying money into the system for how many decades? And then it's just like, well, you know, we come up with this 100-day number because it's a big round number. So that's the thought that's going into this. And there are people that are specifically trained to navigate around this. And if you look at all the tax attorneys and all these other groups that have to exist because of the government, um, 
it's just really sad for a simple personal decision that should only take like three seconds between a person, their doctor, their spouse, everybody else to make a decision and say, yeah, we need to stay here. This isn't, or we need to keep getting this medicine. Uh, government just comes in and says no, because they made this law that's been on the books for however stupid amount of time. Ryan Hold, I'm sure. I mean, anything you want to share? Well, I mean, th- th- there's government problems there too, but there's also just straight up insurance issues, right? So we've got insurance getting between doctors and patients, uh-huh. um, dictating what the doctors can do and can't do. And if you really want to understand why there's a push for uh, single payer national health care, it's because the educate the uh, medical system we have in this country right now is completely and totally broken in every possible way. Part of it's because of government, part of it's because of private insurance, part of it's because of a lot of different things, but the reasons why aren't the issue. People see that it's broken. They don't want it to be broken anymore. They don't have an alternative that they trust. So they turn to the only other option that's being presented to them. And that is government taking over. So what I, something I said a long time, I said this in the, in the eighties to some to some people that having a quasi government involves private uh, healthcare system is never going to work because it's like the worst of all aspects. And you need to either say, we need to have this to be completely privately run where we have people taking care of other people just because they know that they need to be taken care of, or we have to have it fully government run. If you try to do this in between stuff, nobody's going to be serviced properly. It's going to be a failure. And that's what it's done. It's ballooned in price because people are going in there and finding ways to make money out of it. You know, I mean, that's all insurance is, is a middleman, right? If you think about it, the insurance company is trying to make a profit. So they know that you, when you what you pay into insurance for most people what you pay in insurance is more than actually gets paid out because they wouldn't be making money if that wasn't the case right so there are people who who come off pretty good from that i think it might my family might be one of them um but it, it it's important to have insurance but it should i think it should be more um catastrophic healthcare insurance right like what well, happened to me if you have like a surgery and and recovery and everything else that may be like a million dollars or whatever that that's covered under that insurance which is a much lower cost and anything up to two thousand three thousand four thousand a year or whatever pay for it out of your pocket because if you pay for it out of your pocket and you're paying directly to the doctor and the insurance isn't getting involved you're gonna you're not gonna have that add-on fee you know You'll be able to negotiate prices. It's it's a better way to go. Um, doctors spend uh, at least a third of their week paying people to deal with insurance companies, mm-hmm. right? All that time is being wasted with that instead of just helping people that they need to be helping. So the 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 short of it is uh, medical insurance medical. Um, system we have in this country is completely broken we need to fix it and we need to fix it in a way that's smart 
And I hate that the only good option that people are hearing about is more government. Right. Well, look at what happened with Obamacare. Did the, did, did the healthcare system get better or worse? It always gets worse because they always yeah. try to mix uh, you know, federal and private. And, and, ACA. Oh, I have nothing. So, to, I, yeah. yeah. I, I have, it, would have been, it would have been better for people, and I hate to say this as a libertarian, but probably would have been better for people if they had just said government take over, blah, done. Yeah. Get rid of all I, the insurance companies. I don't I don't want to see, I didn't want to see that, but what we've got now is not working. I, I have a story on that, Dennis, and I think I've talked about it before was that the uh one of my customers is a very large healthcare provider. And uh, they they provide Medicare or Medicaid services to various states. So there were three companies that were running in a, you know, obviously captured environment running Medicaid for a certain state. This company did a phenomenal job of running it. They went outside the box. If someone couldn't want to go home, but couldn't go home because their house wasn't handicapped accessible. Let's say they were injured and look, I can't get the wheelchair up the ramp up my stairs they would go and build the ramp. The ramp's like, well, what, 5K? How long does it cost to keep somebody in a hospital who can't go home, you know, and wants to go home and wants to that? So they would do these little things like, you know, it makes more sense just to go build the damn ramp than it does to keep them in the hospital for another three months while they recuperate. Makes more sense to do these little things. They were really good at it. So what did this state do for that company? Because they were profitable more profitable than the other two companies, they had to pay back those profits to share with the other two lesser performing companies. And, and that's, that's what we're talking about here is that the, the government comes in and says, we're going to put this up as program to protect you so that, you know, you don't have a massive loss, which with Medicaid, I'm still scratching my head going, how are you going to have a massive loss if you're running Medicaid? Uh, the government's backing up every procedure and everything else. But that being said, they had to sit there and do it much better than the others. The state didn't go to the others and say, you need to start doing this. They went to, them, went to the company that's doing well and said, pay up. So imagine if you're, what, what's your incentive to perform better next time? If you're the other two companies, you just got yourself a couple hundred million dollars of pure profit for no, for doing nothing. So it's those type of things that just drive me up the wall. And when it comes down to, it, I think I've always thought when the person that's using the service is not involved at all at the cost, someone else is paying it. Um, there's no price pressure, none whatsoever. If I take you out to a fancy restaurant, Dennis, and I say, order whatever you want, you may not, you may normally order a steak or something like that. But if I'm buying it, I'm like, dude, get whatever you want. You may get the lobster. You may go ahead and do that. I've seen that happen at sales meetings. It's hilarious when people do that. I'm like, Wow, you're a terrible human being. <laughs> um, but, but, um, but that's the thing. When there's no consciousness of what the cost structure is, there's no incentive to, for the market to get better. Mm -hmm. I always thought the best way insurance companies could fix this is simply say, hey, we took the average of what it costs to do a hip replacement. Example. You can't do everything, but just, just hear me out. A hip replacement is $55,000. Okay. We'll cover up to 55. And this is based on your geography, geography and market prices. We have that we have all that data coming in. It does, by the way, the government has this data. They just don't really readily share it. You've got this budget to go out and find it. If you want to go ahead and go to super nice hospital that costs $65,000, you know, 
we'll go ahead and let you go there. You got to pay the other out of pocket, work it out with the hospital. If you find it for 45,000, you want to go to Fred's hip hips are us down the street and have it done. We'll split the savings with you. All of a sudden now, you know, that $55,000, that hip replacement is only 45. You get five, I get five. We've saved the money. And, and in the end, the market's hopefully going to get a better product out of, which it usually does. So I, I've never understood why insurance companies don't go that down that route other than it involves hospitals having to change their models to all of a sudden start being more transparent with their pricing. And of course, the big problem with transparency of pricing is, of course, government intervention because government sets the rates for Medicaid and Medicare reimbursement. And if you charge for a service that's lower than what the Medicaid reimbursement rate is, you now have to pay, you now get charged at lower rate to the government, which is now 50% of your procedures. Yeah. Healthcare is, is absurd. I think it's, it's bad. I think even when you turn to like a mainstream, like business insider Forbes or something, and they're like, yeah, government, in, government increases in healthcare account for like 45 to 90% of what you pay for. And it's like, whoa, that is, it's a mind boggling number. Um, to put kind of a bow on this conversation, um, let me see here. Hang on, hang on. Uh, the United States is the second most socialized healthcare system in the world, according to per person payments, as far as what we pay nationally per person. Mm-hmm. So it is um, <laughs> for all those worried about single payer healthcare, uh, we're pretty much there. <laughs> um, we we also spend a lot privately as well, but uh, we are we we spend a a ton per person. Yeah, we're not well, obviously we're not technically single payer, but, but it's just one of those that's kind of like um, we have better availability. Though that's the one thing I want to caveat. I have relatives that live overseas, and you know, uh, dreaded accident, you know, bad fracture. Come back tomorrow, mm-hmm. literally. Come back tomorrow. We the surgeon's done his quota for the day. Can't do can't do yours. Come back tomorrow. There's this show in the UK. It's ridiculous. That's um that that shows like people going to the hospital and, and they make their the whole reason they can have the show is because it's people that the hospital is like, nope, not working on that. And there's this like, I mean, we're talking skin conditions where there's like warts taking over your like growing over yeah. your whole body. And these people are doing this, like, hey, I'm not allowed to give you any advice, but if you want to fly across the strait to this country here, I can suddenly give you some advice on your warts and, and like, and they're doing all these home remedies that they are technically allowed to say in this country. It's just one of those where you're like, wow, like things have gotten really weird out there. Healthcare differs from country to country and it differs on what you're talking about. So like, I I love the dunk on the UK system because it's kind of easy. I mean, they'll, 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 they always seem to do something like kick somebody who who's like on their last legs out of a hospital bed, just because they like, Oh, there's no helping you anymore and leave them dying on the street agonizingly. But then there's something like they don't uh, regulate um, like EpiPens, like epinephrine. And so then, and so our EpiPens over here are like 300 bucks and their EpiPens are like, it's like two, it's like right next to the charms blow pops for the same yeah. price. You're like, Oh, dollar 50. You're like, I'll take that. You know? And it's like, well now hold on here. This is working so well. That is not, what are you doing? Yeah. But you know what drove that up? Cause it was mostly generic. They pretty much had capture on it. And um, it was, uh, I'm trying to remember which Senator's daughter was the CEO of the company that makes the EpiPen. Oh, was and it? what they did was I remember the man- situation. It was yeah, senator's daughter, they, huh? Senator's daughter was a, a CEO of the company that makes the EpiPens. 
they passed a federal law that required that they have EpiPens in every single school. And the day after that happened, the price went boom on <laughs> all the EpiPens. I mean, I remember, and it was it coincided with the day it got monopolized. And this is one kind of where Bernie Sanders, you know, of course, came to fame because he was like, this is why we should let the government monopolize it. Because look at what happens when private companies monopolize it. And I'm like, the only reason they could do that is because you gave these people monopoly. Ugh. Anyway, we have a lot of stories to cover today. Uh, we could get stuck on healthcare for a long time and probably should, because when you have healthcare issues, that's that's about as bad as things get, right? Like this is, it's kind of a, a core libertarian thing to, you know, life, liberty, pursuit, have, we want the life part kind of, kind of pr featured prominently. Um, but I do want to get to some, some more of these stories here, just from some of my friends. So there's one, and you'll, you'll find this link in the description of this show, and I have a friend um, who is who is impacted by this. Um, I'm going to go ahead and link this news story as well for those who would like to see it. But here you go uh, for the chat. A woman. And so this is in Bourbon uh, in. And hey, you're looking at Indiana, like South Bend. Um, so her house burned down. And she had a trailer on her property. And she moved into the trailer when her house burned down and the, the zoning board said that that does not count as a temporary residence. You need to apply for that. So she applied for that, for the temporary residence to stay in her RV and they turned her down. Now get this. <laughs> She's making the headlines because her house burned down. They aren't letting it happen. There are other people who have RVs in her property in the same zoning board who have people who stay in those RVs that are not in trouble with the zoning board. She just is the one that got ratted out. And so she's in trouble. In fact, uh, one of the guys acknowledged here who's on the zoning board, he says, you got to be fair. If you're going to do something, do it for everybody. And it is a small town, which in some ways are good, but in other ways we've got, we've got to our own town councils, our zoning boards, they have to quit favoritism and they have to stop taking rumors. They need to find fact. Um, he, uh, Chuck DeWitt says the zoning board says it's unlikely the variance will be granted, but we'll know for sure in October 11th meeting. Obviously, there's a little bit of outrage on this, even from non-libertarian folks that are like, um, come on now, when your house burns down and you have an RV on your property, that's probably the ideal time to apply a temporary zoning permit now i don't know whatever crony whatever is going behind this from what i understand there's there's people's families are involved and her neighbors kind of ratted on her and i guess the neighbors are like there's kind of a their family too and there's a quarrel it's a small town um but that's there is and i'm also going to link this in the chat but like i said it's in the description there is an event to show up to for all our listeners in indiana it's also facebook attendable so if you'd like to attend via facebook you can also do that i'm gonna link that in the chat but uh do either of you have any idea what's what's going on there what, what, why would this happen this just seems cruel are they trying to build the parking lot in green space to be able to entice the uh sorry i'm uh, i'm going with spike in the convalescence home that he just went and spoke about so <laughs> yeah. it's the same stuff i'm not going to use profane language on chris's show it's the same stuff that we see there's just somebody's got a burr up their keister um and just famously the zoning board's like well yeah that's against the law and 
It's no bureaucracy. Confidence. I mean, if you want to, yeah. one thing I was thinking about the other day, we were talking about um, science fiction and fantasy and novels and reading and everything else. And it struck me that, or I've, it's something I've known for a long time, but it's, it's it just hit me during that moment that um, you learn a lot about life by reading those books, right? You know, even though it's just a story, but uh, a great example is, the view of bureaucracy if you read douglas adams hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy you learn how stupid mindless and annoying bureaucracy is and he does a very good job of painting it <laughs> a very very big broad picture of it but that's what you get you get into people who are just doing a functional job and they don't it, it becomes less about trying to help people less about trying to solve problems and more about, well, here's the paper. We got to do the paper. We can get that filled out. Here's a form. It's got to be filled out this way. And everybody deals with this stuff all the time. Right. But government is notoriously bad at it. Even, even worse. Cause if private industry were to, it, to invoke this kind of bureaucracy that we see with government, they'd be out of business. There's no one would want to deal with it anymore. And somebody would start do a startup. I mean, you get this with these larger companies that do do this stuff, and then you get a startup that comes along and they do a better job, they get better service. Well, people start to go to them, right? And that'll cause the larger companies to go, hey, we need to do something better here. And it keeps them in line. When you have government, you have no competition. You have no incentive. You have no reason to to make that experience in any way enjoyable or acceptable, right? You just do what you want to do at that point. And, and a lot of people don't even know why it's like, why do I have to fill out this form to fill out this form, to get approval on this form, to get this form? Uh, it's just the way it always is. It's the way it's been. Well, who, who decided this? Who thought it up? I don't know. Some guy 20 years ago. I mean, it's, it's like nobody even knows why they're doing it, you know, and what the function of it is. Be, it's just beware. the way it's been done. Mm-hmm. Beware of the leopard. That's all you got to say. I mean, that's, Government in a nutshell. Come on. <laughs> but you found it's, the notice. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was in a disused lavatory at the bottom of the stairs. Saying, yeah, that's a great line. So. Yeah. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's, uh, it's a good one. It's, uh, it's actually my brother's favorite book of all time. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a good one. All right. I got a story here. Now, a lot of these stories are um, anonymous. Uh, some of them I do have names for. This one I have a name for. My, uh, my friend Randy. I bipolar type one. I was trying to manage a manic episode. My family's worried and called police. I'm sure you're already shaking your head right now. Police entered my house against my will. Someone else left it unlocked on their way out. I told them I was fine. I was not threatening anyone or suicide. They did exactly what cops do. They threw me in the ground. They handcuffed me. I resisted, but I didn't attack them or try anything. I was just naturally trying to avoid their attempts. And when they first tried to me to walk me outside the front door, they actually pushed me. I didn't take that voluntary step outside the door frame. I face planted on concrete and caused my jaw, uh, my uh, my jaw, because my top and bottom teeth hit so hard. Most of my teeth broke, and I needed many caps and root canals. They broke my jaw in two places and six of my teeth in order to save me from myself. And of course. They put him in the hospital. Um, he went into like a 72-hour involuntary hold. Um, he even tried to decline the stitches and everything to get it sewed up. And, of course, he ended up having to pay for 
most of this, uh, most of his dental work himself to get long-term repairs. You know, they would stop him from profusely bleeding, but they weren't going to do anything to fix him cosmetically. Um, this is kind of the, the, the nature of what happens when you call the police. And it's like, you, you do want to do a wellness check on somebody. But these days, it feels like a wellness check is almost like swatting someone. I mean, it, it, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen when I do this wellness check. I mean, how many stories of this do we have to read where it's, I called because I was worried about my neighbor. You know, she didn't seem like she was eating or, you know, her dogs were locked in the house. I wanted to make sure she was conscious or whatever it is. And then they end up shooting dogs, people, police, or, you know, in this case, not somebody shot. And so it doesn't make national news, but bad, badly injuring somebody. Um, Anybody thoughts on this one? Oh, you see it all the time. I mean, Kelly Thomas, uh, the the gentleman who was having an episode in the middle of the street and was hurting nobody, but he was having an episode and they went in and they ended up killing him. I mean, it's the police calling the police is a bad idea for a lot of these situations because they're going out to try to diffuse, but also are consciously always trying to protect themselves and assuming the worst. If you get somebody out there who's trained in the situation that is, you know, being called about, you would have a much better result because they know how to de-escalate. They know how to uh, get the person who's having an issue um, stabilized and come down and, and that sort of thing. You don't have to, you know, tackle them and everything else. Right. So um, that's one of the, the things when they talk about defunding the police, that's, that's what they're talking about is getting the right people going out and responding to some of these things, as opposed to sending men with guns who are in the mindset of, you know, stop it, protect yourself. That's it. You know, it's a very different mindset that they have when they go out to any kind of call because they have no idea what they're getting into. Neutralized threats as opposed to yeah they they go out for worst case scenario I agree with you I don't agree with the whole idea of defund I always thought refund the police is a probably better tagline but here's the problem yeah Yeah. the idea behind defund the police is good the left is terrible at marketing their ideas. Right, like the representative who said defund the police and I'll protect myself. (laughs) I mean, you've got defund the police, you've got uh, white privilege, you've got all these things that were the concept behind it is sound and good and something we should be doing and talking about. But the naming of it is so bad that nobody even gets to that point because they hear the name and they immediately just block out and go off on a tangent and well, have their own reasons for point. for being opposed to it. it. It's 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 the most unfortunate. It's one of the most unfortunate things because they're just giving their opposition ammunition to use against them. But it's like it's like the tag. Imagine the tagline "Peds for Children." Now you're thinking pedophiles, but it could have been pediatricians. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry that you picked a terrible tagline, <laughs> but maybe if someone points out to you, "Hey, this is a terrible tagline," and and I think shout out to Vaughn on this one to say, you know, you, every place needs to have that 20 year old who who's not affiliated with the organization to say, "We're we're going to do this." Do, does this connotate anything terrible? Yeah, Pete's for kids is probably not the best tagline you want to use. <laughs> 
So <laughs> I might not be a marketing expert, but yeah, yeah, yeah may not may not be the best one. But yeah, getting back to it, yeah, the, the the police are going in to try to take care of psychological issues, and I've dealt with this personally again. Um, I, I remember an officer coming into our house because our son was having an episode, and we described what he was going through, and he looked at me and said, "Is that like ADHD?" And uh, it stuck with me for all these years. I said, yeah, I will never call you again because you have no clue what's going on. It is getting better. Um, I will tell you that there are crisis lines now. Uh, the problem is that there are a lot of people who call the crisis lines uh, simply for attention. Uh, you know, I'm going to kill myself. And, you know, it's like, hey, Fred, you called again to the 13th time today. Thanks a lot. You get the frequent uh, caller, you know, sticker for the day. There's a lot of messed up people in this world. Um, the problem is government, of course, wants to have everybody fit into this form that they can fill out and uh, just be able to file that so they can just go on to the next form that they have to fill out and file away. And of course, in some cases, it could be you don't know if you're walking in and I legitimately sympathize with the police with this. You don't know if you're walking with somebody who's having a temper tantrum or is hearing voices that say, take everybody with you when you go. So it's kind of a balance point here and and it's unfortunate obviously i i don't want to see what happened to your friend hody happen that's that's horrendous and we need to have better training for them to be able to pick that up and realize someone says i'm not a danger to myself and can can say that out loud that's probably a good point to go you know what let's let's find out what's going on here as opposed to you know throwing handcuffing him and throwing him down on the uh, on the ground so yeah, you, you bring a good point that it's like the squeaky wheel gets the oil, but isn't it the guy who only calls the suicide hotline once that you've got to, like, I mean, everybody, we want to take all the calls seriously, but obviously yeah. when it's like somebody who never, who is always positive, you know, and I think, you know, when I went through my my dark days, I think that's how my family knew it was serious because I was, you know, I spent 99% of my life being happy hody. And so when it went through this, it was like, oh, we know it's serious because yeah. that's what's going on. When you have somebody that is kind of a red flag every day kind of person, you're like, right, this is this is how you live. This is your average day. And it's hard. I mean, the police, even at, even in, I think, an ideal society, the police aren't that's not their job to kind of deal with that like to determine which cases need what kind of care. I mean, this is a mental health issue. Yeah. All right. Uh, another one here. Uh, and this one's an anonymous one. They raided my house based on the word of an unverified, unidentified confidential informant. That's a quote. They're looking for guns and crack of which there was neither in the house, but several of my roommates had weed paraphernalia and one that had problem with banks, kept his cash in a safe in his room where he also had meth. This really solidified the conviction they already had. So they smashed holes in the wall, tore down the ceiling in several parts of the house, pulled up the carpets in some room, screamed, where are the guns in the face of one of my female roommates for 10 minutes straight, etc. They took all of the electronics and cash in the house. I wasn't home when it happened. So after I was literally the only one of seven of us, it was a big three-story house that still had a phone. They never returned any of it, which included my laptop. They did so much damage to the place that the landlord said we all had to be out in 10 days. I had a cat and had nowhere for my cat to go. So I had to put my stuff that wasn't ruined, but they did break a number of my household goods, ripped open furniture, smashed dishes and cabinets, et cetera, and storage pods and move into a motel that accepted pets, which quickly ate my meager savings and then my tax return. This was in 2015. I'm still not financially recovered from it. And there are still items not replaced. 
Um, it happens very rarely, but if you ever see, like, if you ever get the opportunity to see, like, a, I don't know, usually it's not leaked, but it's a, they have to release it because some incident happened because of it, like, of a raid. It is the most traumatic, like, one of the most wild things. I, I looked at this because of the people who killed Brianna Taylor. They had a video of a raid they had conducted earlier. And I was like, well, I want to, you know, let's go ahead and see the one where their body cameras were actually on um, and see how it worked. And I remember they, they yelled the F word something like four times before they identified themselves as police. And I mean, it was a, they actually like jiggled the handle. There was no knock, no doorbell. They jiggled the handle to make sure it was locked. The guy gave the symbol. They, they or a symbol signal. They smashed the door with their, you know, with their battering ram. They, threw gas in there. They start yelling and screaming and swearing and then announce that they're police. And I'm just like, that is the most like, <laughs> and, and obviously this puts themselves in danger as well. Cause I mean, any normal person is going to be like, there's some invader breaking into the front of my, my house. And then, I mean, afterwards and, and just, I mean, kids screaming that they're tossing to the side and the destruction on the personal property is, is, it seems like it's more commonplace than it should be in like a police raid. I mean, they, these things obviously are, are there's no going to be no successful in a police raid because you're, you're, you're on somebody else's turf and property and it's always going to look somewhat chaotic, but it just is one of those where you just kind of identify like 12 different steps. Even me as a pedestrian that kind of says this, this could have been handled in a different way. Um, I mean, even what what would be so bad with just showing up with a warrant, just being like, hey, we heard there's some drugs. We have a warrant. We're going to search your home now. But that's just not the way these raids work. They're not incentivized. They're not incentivized to work that way. You know, four guys going in. I mean, if they're again, this gets right back to if they think it's going to be worst case scenario, they're going to do worst case scenario. Uh, I just had a conversation with my son actually yesterday. Um, he says, why do you always plan for the worst? And I'm like, I'm not kind of planning like it's going to happen. I'm going to just want at least to know if something terrible happens, what are my options as opposed to being in the situation and, and scratching my head on what, what which I've done differently. Um, and it's, it's ridiculous that we're doing this over, you know, just some random informant type of thing, which of course the, the undercover informant should not be the basis of a, a, a anonymous undercover informant should not be the basis of a search warrant. I, I legitimately don't know why police departments are being held when there's anonymous um, uh, informants that go in and there's no repercussions other than, well, this is going in your file. And when you quit and go to another police department, that's not going to follow. Um, but yeah, it's just getting ridiculous. But then, of course, we we have to fill out this piece of paper. This is the process we have to follow. We have to do this because of the one time that we saw that somebody got critically injured when we thought there were kids in there. I, I will tell you, I don't think most police officers that I know of personally, and I know a couple of them, want to do those Rates. Of course, there are bad apples that want to do those things and are looking for kind of a fight. Um, but unfortunately, those, you know, they, they get all the attention and it brought up the memory of the um, the uh, house that they raided uh, down in Georgia where they fired a flashbang into a toddler crib. 
because they just fired a flashbang in there and the kid got critically injured. Now they had the police department had to pay, but wait a minute, let me let me rephrase that. Let me dial that back. The people of that city had to pay, not the police department for that. Right. And it was three and a half million dollars. So, you know, it, it it's just absolutely ridiculous that there are no consequences for that. And of course there'd be consequences for us as well if we started shooting back because somebody came barreling into our house. Mm -hmm. Um it's tough to say that you know, don't do bad things. But just as we were talking about earlier, people are profiled for, well, we think they're going to do bad things. The minute we stop policing personal behavior that's not injurious, injurious to others, unless they choose to do so, we stop doing that. The police are going to get a lot less busy. They're going to have a lot more time to be able to prosecute those, those, you know, crimes that do happen. Yep. Um, that they don't have to sit there and look good. And and the last thing I always think that should be, I would love to see a nationwide media boycott of when politicians go on television, except to announce like something big. Um, I would love to stop seeing them broadcast, you know, when they pull over a family um, and, and arrest the dad because he had $20 and uh, an ounce of marijuana hidden underneath the driver's seat. I keep looking at it and I'm so glad to watch social media just light into these police departments when they sit there and they're they're all like puffed up and proud. Oh, I'm in my full SWAT gear. Yeah. And it's like got like a, a pistol that looks like it hasn't been cleaned in about three decades. Yeah. 50 bucks. And then like you have to go, where's the drugs? Oh, right there on top. And they've got it sitting on like a big pedestal. It's going, oh, I'm glad. Yeah, we're safe from that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they both were like like a successful hunting trip. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, big tough guys. <laughs> Reinhold, anything you want to add? Um, just that we we need to stop sending these police. If we just get rid of the laws, they won't have the incentive to go and do that stuff, right? They're just they're just you know doing their job, but it's money for them too. I mean, you don't. Oh yeah. Yeah, pulling people over because they have seatbelt on, right? I mean, that's that's just money they get to put in their pocket to go pay and do other things and pay for their ammo and pay for their, you know, sitting in their car and trying to uh, figure out how they can cheat on their wives and that sort of thing. So oh. it's, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I mean, it's going in hard. get away with that. All right, that's that's, like that's a story I know from. Oh, we've had to Dennis. We we've had it out here as well. That's the scary thing. It's in every single county has that that cop that was doing that. <laughs> no, no, it's it's. I've been told it's all cops, but that's from somebody. Well, who, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with from that like uh, somebody somebody I know very well who has been hit on a lot by a lot of cops. Let's put it that no. way. <laughs> but like, I, I mean, they even did that like what like thing into the Patriot Act, and it'd been used to spy more on like ex-wives than it had on terrorists or something like there were more like subpoenas for yeah because i just wanted to see like what my ex-wife was up to than there was like legitimate terrorist threats i mean the stuff you think passes for a good reason does not get used for good reasons when 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 you apply it this way um we have a friend uh joe patchkel this year i decided to run for office for virginia house of delegates as a libertarian 
Both the GOP and Democrats decided they didn't want a primary, but opted for a convention, the same way the Libertarians do it every year. By doing this, they didn't have to get the normal signature requirements. The Libertarians still did. And then they tried to keep us off the ballot because they needed, quote, more information about the party, unquote. Um, running as a Libertarian is a nightmare. I have, I have um, worked on Republican campaigns before. Uh, back in my dark days, and I have worked on libertarian campaigns, and I can tell you this, that the stuff that the entire libertarian campaign is focused on is not even a full day for the, with the Republican experience. I mean, we are talking, you don't even have to, you just say, talk to this judge, they'll, they'll say that getting your signatures is useless, if for whatever reason they do just give them the donor list or something like, I mean, there is somebody who you can talk to that says, and this is stuff that you spend weeks, sometimes an entire campaign on like as a libertarian candidate doing. And I'm just telling you that the, the five month experience for like a libertarian campaign is not even an hour as a Republican. Like it is just, the experience is, is so luxurious. It's unbelievable. If you, if you do run as a GOP member, I mean, and and to get to squash somebody else, it's just oh yeah, talk to talk to this judge, and they'll they'll challenge each and every signature and go line by line. Course as a Republican, we did not have to do that. That was just it was considered a waste of time. If for some reason a, some judge would have tried, we would have gotten a different judge. We would have had that judge fired. I mean, it was so simple. It was it was really like I took it for granted because I just assumed it was how politics worked and i guess it was how politics works but it's only how politics works if you're a republican or a democrat it is not how politics works as a libertarian and having worked on the libertarian campaigns i mean it's so it's so frustrating i think that i can't even work on the campaigns anymore i've kind of put that that to the side because it is and i would say like part of it is just because i don't i don't really enjoy the political process but the other part is i just trying to make progress when the playing field is this unbalanced, it's like playing a sport and being like, well, I like football, but I'm giving your, the other team, you know, an eight touchdown lead first and go begin the game. And you're just like, well, this is, this is dumb. Like, why am I playing this? It is. And I, I mean, it's designed to break your back and break your will. And I guess I'm the one of the ones who, whose wills it broke. So jokes on me, but I just, I couldn't take it. It is just, it is so frustrating. Yeah. And, and and it's the same with Democrats and like Chicago and big cities like that, where they get 90. I It's kind of funny to me because I, I always love looking at the district results that come in in some of those like South Chicago districts and a wide, wide swath of different neighborhoods where it's like 93 percent of the people voted for the Democratic candidates. And I'm like, that seems awfully high. <laughs> But it's the reality because it gets back to the whole Chicago machine or out here in flyover country. If you're a Democrat, uh, you know, you're, you've got probably a chance in hell. But, yeah, electoral reform is a big thing. But, of course, nobody wants to talk about it, especially in the age of Trump and challenging every single ballot cast or if. You know, somebody sneezed on a ballot. Does that make it invalid? You know, there's so many different things we should be doing with our election system that that, you know, as, as Dennis and Chris have said painfully over and over again, 
that it's very hard to steal an election. Now, on the local side, you can do lots of things to make it really difficult. But there is a lot. It's very difficult to, quote, you know, manufacture votes and go full like Gaddafi uh, and win 99.999 percent of the vote. And that one one thousandth of a percent is going to be shot after my uh, election celebration. So, you know, we saw an example of that where they were sure that there was some sort of malfeasance in Maricopa County, Arizona. And apparently there wasn't. So um, stealing the election. Yeah. That kind of. Yeah. No, I, mean, I, I agree with you. There's no malfeasance. It's just that now they're, of course, they're questioning the auditors. So we yeah, need the, to the audit they the auditors. Yeah. yeah, they had the, the ones they handpicked that were cronies for them that yeah. were Republican. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. now well, that, they're the ones that are the problem, right? We need to audit the auditors who are auditing the auditing. There we go. <laughs> it's funny. It feels so. It feels so long ago since we talked about Venezuela, but like the whole Maduro election and like every like every other country's like, nope, that didn't really happen. But here we are. Anyway, yeah. I, I guess there's some things we take Sorry. for granted as Americans. Um, all right. Well, well we in Indiana, see- I'll just say real quick. In, in Indiana, though, we do have at least they have a policy. They had some stuff in place that the libertarians met so that I know when, when Chris was running the um the party and i was running for office i didn't have to get signatures because we had automatic ballot access because we had gotten a certain percentage in this secretary of state race which gave us you know that sort of thing and that sort of stuff is um the kind of thing we have to weave our way through we don't get automatic ballot like the the, uh the republicans and democrats do but the you know we may not win elections as libertarians but the more we can get the percentages on those on those elections we get two percent three percent you start you start being in charge of swings between republicans and democrats and who wins and you start proving that you have a little bit enough power that they have to start respecting you and putting you on and and giving you that right so that's the best way to fight it right now we do it through lawsuits and a lot of money being spent on it and we have to go to courts all the time but Really, it's just that everybody getting tired of the Republicans and the Democrats going out and voting for a third party, giving them enough power that they can at least make a difference in that election. Um, that's how you, you make a change without actually winning. You can still control things that way. Yeah, you might not get your politician elected, but you'll get your issues discussed. And libertarians have had some success on issues, you know, at least in the, in the political realm, much more than we have uh, getting our politicians in place. <laughs> now, if we could just stop worrying about baking the cake and stupid stuff like that, oh my gosh. probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I should, yeah. Why it's important for libertarians to talk about issues that matter. Um, yeah. All right. Another anonymous story, story government interference and making my life difficult for eight years. I did not pay taxes. Yeah, I think I see where this is going. All right. This was because that one, it is moral to uh, is immoral to tax the fruits of my labor and two tax revenues used for immoral purposes, including waging war, something I have personal experience with. Over the years, I was gently nudged and then not so gently. Finally, it was made clear to me that unless I paid up, I'd forfeit all my assets and quite possibly be imprisoned. I pleaded my case, but it was clear I was up against an entity with unlimited resources and absolutely no empathy. I finally relented under protest. It cost me dearly. What I learned is that unless one is willing to give up everything, and I mean everything, there is almost no way to fight the IRS and its immoral system of direct taxation. 
Yeah. Yeah. Just about that. Well, yeah. you can't. He's dead yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's ask Al Sharpton about it. And let's ask a number of others who are in politics who haven't paid their taxes, but somehow suddenly can get away with it and aren't in jail. Um, yeah, us plebes are, are, are expected to pay unto Caesar. But um, the $600 uh, latest requirement for the mm. uh, reporting, I actually, what I want to do, I would like to make a plea to all of humanity. Go ahead, let them do it. Let's tie up tax court for the rest of eternity. Let's go ahead and put together what you have to do. We'll play their game. Okay, show up at court. I don't have an attorney. I need to get one. So I need 90 days to be able to figure that out. And just tie it up for everybody. And, and it's the same thing with like the bail system and things like that or with the plea bargains. They can't hear every case. They're doing it for their convenience, not yours. So if everybody demanded a jury trial, justice would swing to a complete and quick halt so those are the things that's like if you're going to do this guess what we as a country we're going to hold we're going to toe the line we're going to appeal we're going to do everything you might rubber stamp but boy you're going to start missing deadlines and if you start missing deadlines people can't do stuff so uh, if they're going to do this let's fight back by just using their own tactics make life miserable for fed civil disobedience love it I think uh, if you, if you contact Cato, I believe they'll actually uh, they'll offer to like pay some of your legal fees if you choose to do this. But so if you want to go into it knowing that you could get in some legal trouble, uh, th there's at least one resource to try and contact. Uh, for mm -hmm. sorry, go ahead, Reinhold. I'll say alternatively, what we're going to see is a lot of people who do who are involved in 1099 transactions are going to be selling their services for. $599.99. What a bargain. Suddenly my paychecks for my, uh, you know, because, you know, writing and we, they pay me via PayPal. Suddenly I'm going to get three different transactions for this. I mean, it's yeah. Stuff. It, well, that's what it's going to be. Is instead of paying monthly, you're just going to pay weekly or daily or yeah. whatever the hell it is that you want to work out. So that's going to yeah. be. I mean, and people like us can figure out how to criminally do this. You know that there's criminal masterminds that figured this out the instant it was announced. They're like, yeah. oh, okay, so just break it up smaller then. Yeah. All right. And I'm sure they'll probably put reporting functions in there. Like what, right now when you deposit more than $10,000 or $10,000, if you, de yeah, if you deposit $9,999.99, 27 times in a row, the feds come in and say, wait a minute, you're structuring your deposits. Right. So I'm sure now, they're probably going to do something stupid like yeah. that. So, and where <laughs> they come with 600? 600 is such like a weird arbitrary number. It's like, uh, that's like everybody's rent or everybody's they be mortgage like, payment. I just want to make sure it's yeah. less than what people spend at Burger King. Was, but was everything 600, else. 600 of what they got on the um, stimulus? Doesn't everybody get $600? Could be. Could be, like Could, be Could be it. Could be oh, it. That little, that little crumb they threw us out of the trillions. When you sit there and do the math on the trillions and going, you could have just gave that money to pretty much everybody and, and would have been you know would have been far more helpful for the economy well no it wouldn't have but you know what i mean as opposed to going to corporations and governments and things like that so um it would have been 500 inflation happened no it would have been 50 but inflation happened so <laughs> congratulates everybody for taking a 20 percent pay cut this year you're welcome right 
All right. I got a friend here named Gunther. The government instituting COVID restrictions made my heart surgery get canceled. And now that they are able to do them, I can't get the surgery because I don't have the vaccine. The hospital says I must have the vaccine. And my heart surgeon says I should wait till after I'm healed from my surgery to get the vaccine because the potential side effects are much more likely to kill me if I get them. And I, and I should be more likely to have a side effect due to my heart condition. Um, yeah, so like I, I think one of the most striking things about the some of the COVID regulations is how they specifically have gone with no exceptions. Because most of the time when you put forth like something as libertarians, it's it's difficult for me to argue with some regular, you know, some certain regulations because they're like, oh no, there's an exception for that. There's an exception for that. Whereas I'll have somebody here who it's like, no, I will like I'll flare up and die if I get it. And they're like, well, I guess you're out of a job. I guess. Like, like we're just no exceptions on this one. And this is kind of the first time I've seen that. Like most of the time it's very like, you know, apply this way. You know, it's difficult to get an exception uh, under a lot of government regulations, but this is the first time that I've kind of seen like, nah, we're just not taking them. If it'll kill you, I don't care. Like it, it it's over with. And of course, in this case, this is messing with somebody's surgery um, that he's caught in a catch 22 where it's like, I get it. I have a flare up, then I'll actually need to be in the hospital. And then, or if I try to get the surgery first, oh, I can't get the surgery first because I need this. I mean, he's got a chicken and egg argument and it's a, there's not a lot of people. I understand like, I'm I'm not trying to go full anti-vax here. This is always the accusation you get when you put up stories like this. I'm aware this is not most people like uh, of my, of my 5,000 friends that I have, you know, I know of like three of them that actually have like a pre-existing condition or something that's like, no, I, I can't get, I, my doctor even recommends that I do not get the vaccine. I have a doctor's excuse, but I'm fired from my job anyway, because I have to have it. I, I think, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Reynolds. I think people know how I feel about the vaccine. Uh, at least some people do. Um, it's still, it, it irritates me the most is that this is a, again, you're politicizing a decision that should be between you and your doctor. If your doctor yeah. recommends that you get it, you should take his advice and get it. If the doctor recommends that you don't, then don't. I mean, I don't know why this has to be so hard when you start politicizing it, people start trying to make the decision on whether they should get it or not based off of their politics, which is the most asinine thing I've ever heard of in my life. This is your health. This is the health of your friends and family and people who you live near. Um, it is a communicable disease. Talk to the doctor. The doctor gives you a recommendation. You should probably listen to them and make that decision based off of that and that alone, not whether or not uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden tells you to. That's just my little rant, though. Yeah, Brian. Brian. I, this this uh, the funny thing is that Cody, you know three people. I I have I, I I have no social life, and I know of two people who have been actively told by their doctors do not get the freaking vaccine because, in their opinion, and the opinion of also people in their profession. It is a much higher risk to get the vaccine because of the complications for cardiac or other other reasons. And yes, those people, I know one of them got COVID. He's recovering, thank goodness. Um, but I, I'm sitting here scratching my head going, why waste this vaccine thing? If you've known somebody's had COVID, they've got antibodies. 
There's no study out there that says conclusively that having the vaccine is infinitely better than have or than than say, having COVID and, and the antibodies you get from COVID. There's conflicting studies at this point. Um, and, and the third thing is that there's no exemptions. Period. I, these are some, some really ridiculous policies that are, of course, being driven to the least common denominator. We have a form to fill out. We've got to have this form filled out, and there's it, it, that checkbox isn't on this form. I'm sorry, we can't help you. Um, it's <laughs> so I said, COVID's been the fantastic thing for libertarians because if you were worried about government intrusion into schools, your lives, your jobs, healthcare, everything else, congratulations, it's all been delivered on a plate for you to be able to deliver a libertarian message. Um, and I, I still scratch my head on this why bureaucrats, these hospital bureaucrats, are opening themselves up to huge. I, I, I don't think the government's going to back them up when they all these lawsuits that are coming from the fired employees, the people who are denied care, the people that were denied uh, jobs, insurance, etc., because they were told that they had to take a risk, that their doctor has clearly stated and written down, you cannot take. So I, I'm looking forward to the lawsuits that are going to come out of this because it's going to be such an epic bitch slap from the from the Supreme Court when they get it, because it's an insane invasion of privacy. Now, please, let me caveat. I, I think that if you have not had COVID, I think you should get the shot. I think it's been proven reasonably effective. I think there are concerns for some age groups and some you know people. Please consult with your doctor before you do it. This is not medical advice or financial advice. Don't buy Bitcoin. Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, I think, I think you're... Um you're misguided in thinking that the Supreme Court's going to knock any of this down. I think they because will. there's precedent. There's precedent there, that. and they're going to follow that precedent because that's what the Supreme Court does. I, I know very they rarely precedent. overturn precedent, but I think they will in this case, and we'll, we'll see, see what happens. I, I'm willing we'll to wager an entire penny on it, Dennis. Ooh, all right, <laughs> the one penny I, bet. Oh no, will... no, wait, no, 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 no. Oh. I got to do this right, okay, Dennis? Okay. I have it right here. I have. A shiny $2 bill, fresh. Right for, I printed it this morning, and we'll put that on for when that. And if, if I win, you will send me one. And if I lose, I will send this to your house. Deal? I do not. I do not. I do not bet for $2 bills. $2 bills are sacred in my family. So, uh, Well, that's where I got it from. My, it's from, yeah. We'll figure my, out something. We'll, we'll get the details of this ironed out. Um, I'll give you a quick a quick history on that. My father had a $2 bill that his mom gave him. He needed something, so he... Gave it to back to his mom to get something that he wanted, um, and then he wrecked his car. And then he got the two dollar bill back, put it in his wallet, and it stayed in that wallet until a couple of weeks ago when my mother uh, cleaned it out after his passing. So two dollar bills don't go anywhere in his family. So. Right. I'm I'm willing to transport my luck to you, Dennis. There you go. It's right there. I'll send it to you. You, know, you can build your own story. That stupid idiot that I that I complain about all the time. He's willing to send me a two dollar bill on a Supreme Court bill. All right, uh, Sasha Cohen. He is actually one of the uh, few. He's locally elected libertarians throughout the country, uh, and one of my friends. Uh, my city is trying to establish a citizen police review board. So it sounds good, right? 
Here's the problem. The board will have no power to do anything except, uh, well, do anything past give a chief recommendation, which the police department and the officer in question can freely ignore. They require the victim to be named publicly and do all the hearings in public with no exceptions. They could realistically force a person who was raped by an officer to publicly talk about it in full detail just to get a powerless board to recommend discipline. Based And then based on the threat from the local police union, they're actually amending this ordinance so that the officer can just not show up, doesn't have to show up to, to these meetings or anything like that. And he's just he was talking with me about how, like, this is the problem with when you get something that looks like a good bill that a lot of times, like, politicians or police unions or whatever get on back and they're like hey we wanted to fix it we wanted to change it or actually disguised a lot like this and and he was talking about how, like this is actually like this is good for them because what they're going is from a process which they can't what they can't ignore the justice even though they rarely you know have to face the music anyway but at least in that system they have to do it whereas now they're offering this reform where they can just completely ignore all the consequences they don't have to they don't have to own up to any of the music and that this is kind of what it looks like when you're when when the police union is like oh yeah we're we're good with this kind of reform he's like that's when you really want to start getting into it because something something happened anybody thoughts there uh, no, I'm first of all, I'm going to give a shout to Sasha for uh, I, I used to live in DeKalb. So go Huskies. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm glad he's uh, serving the government there. Um, at least you want to go back. But anyhow, um, yeah. Anytime a government agency says, yeah, this is a great idea. We should do this. Y- you should run <laughs> or at least at least dig into it much further uh, and find out that only the people that can serve would be retired employees that have had X amount of years experience, plus also only eat donuts on Thursdays at this certain cafe. You know, it just the stupid requirements that we put into some of these laws um, that, well, we don't, our, our politicians do. But yeah, I mean, the government doesn't want to be questioned, doesn't want that because that could cost someone their job, their livelihood, their pension, things like that. All of those things that, we have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, you know, I could say something here that my company may interpret as terrible and I could get fired tomorrow. Okay. Uh, there's a bit of self-censoring that goes on, but not a lot. Um, but in government, it's kind of, the, they, they don't want to take that risk at all. And so they put this to make sure that it doesn't happen. So. I know. And Well, part of the problem is that the majority of people want the police to be the police and be strong and protect them. And they don't see, they back the blue. They don't see where it's possible that they could be doing these bad things. You have your, your occasional incidents or one bad guy, you know, that sort of thing, but they don't see that it's a systemic problem. Therefore they don't ever get a resolution. That's going to fix it. The systemic problems. And, it may be a case where a government review board that it's in, implemented by laws and then obviously political at that point, you introduce politics into it, is never going to work. It's got to be a non-government organization that watches and monitors the police, brings lawsuits when they're they are due, collects evidence, finds, you know, we have to 
we unfortunately have to go that route because the police aren't going to police themselves. The government's not going to police itself, right? The government's not going to limit its own power because why would it? There's no incentive. So these things aren't going to be fixed unless it is politically untenable to do so. And the only way it's going to be that is to keep shining the light on the problems. And thankfully with, with the, what we have with cell phones and cameras and things are starting to get recorded and we're starting to hear more and more of the stuff that's always going on. We just didn't have any evidence of, we're getting more and more of that. And that's why the, the police departments are fighting back so hard on saying, you can't pollute, you can't film me. And I was like, no, we're paying your salary. We can film you anytime we want to. That's the rules. And you need to learn those rules. Um, so, it's i think we're seeing progress i think it's going to help with the technology we're going to get there and try to get some changes made um but it's still a lot of pushback on this because of just the political mindset of some people who who see the police as being the only line keeping them from being overrun and killed hmm. you know and, and mathematically you're more likely to die from covid than being a SWAT raid. So I, it, it's, yeah, I, I just, I, I love how the media, and I mean, there's serious concerns here. Please don't take this the wrong way. There are serious concerns about police overreach and stuff like that, but we were all, this, this was top of story stuff. And for the rest of us, plebs, it's never going to affect us until we're that someone else that you're talking about, Hody, earlier in the podcast. It, it's the best, prescription against this is just communication and, and being able to talk to your neighbors, your friends, things like that. Um, a lot of these problems that are there can hopefully be um, kind of worked through. I want to say um, in just being more attentive and being not afraid to talk about items, uh, being not able to talk about uh, changing the way police interact with the public, changing the way that healthcare interacts with the government. There's a lot of people out there that want to see things change, but think it can't change because it's just too big, too, too ridiculous. So we just need to finally, you know, start talking to people about this um, and, and attend those stupid meetings, uh, show up to a board meeting, show up to show up to those things to make them accountable in the end. Uh, I'm guilty of not doing it as much as I should. Uh, I think we all are because we all have lives and they always schedule these schedule meetings. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> at, at 11.37 to 11.45 <laughs> is the time for public comment. And that's the only time you'll be allowed inside. Oh, I have eight minutes with 20 other people. And the first guy is going to be some guy who's going to complain about the color of the park benches on there. I think they should be more burnt orange than the uh, current uh, <laughs> light orange that they currently are. Let me tell you why. My father. Um, so that's the thing and even the groups that we may most you know disagree with i won't say detest but disagree with uh the police themselves and things like that i think there's far more to be found in having a conversation at least um as opposed to getting sucked behind slogans and flags and stuff like that there's some people you can't talk to but there are a lot more that you can so um, this year has been, as I said, great for COVID on gun control and everything else. When things went south on, uh, in uh, the early days of COVID, lots of people that were really against gun controls or really for gun control suddenly were far more interested in owning a firearm. So, yeah, it goes back to what Reinhold said earlier uh, that 
the is your messaging actually functional like you can say what you want free country about the way policing works but are you more likely to get what you want by shouting a cab or by addressing some issues and making and, some progress there and by the way that bad marketing that the left has is mm-hmm. far worse in the libertarian circles yeah. Yeah. Well, oh yeah. my God. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Decentralized anything. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you know what? I, I love decentralization, but sometimes when you can't find that one message that unifies people, then you get a bunch of messages and the ones that get famous aren't the ones that you want out and about. Yeah. It just, please, we can stop getting the edge Lords in there for their 15 seconds of, of fame to be able to put up a tweet that gets talked about on, on uh, Mars or something like that for the stupidest yeah. frigging things. Please don't Please. wear the star of I remember, for COVID restrictions. Yeah. Please. No, it's it's a great example. I mean, I Please don't. <laughs> I remember um, when where we I was following the the presidential election. I can't remember what year it was. It was a uh, uh, Bad Narek was running, and the press that he got the whole year was he did an interview and he said he didn't he didn't uh, have a driver's license because he didn't think the state, you know had the authority to make him have a driver's license and he was mocked and ridiculed in the press. And that was the only thing that ever came out of that campaign that anybody ever heard. So now that's what the Liberty movement is tagged with those sorts of things. When you become, you know, when the loudest things that you're talking about are things that um, most people find ridiculous, you're going to be seen as ridiculous. Right. And, and you're tagging well, everybody yeah. else who has that. <clears throat> it's not fair because yeah. I mean, this is, this is one of those where it's like they blow up seven children, three adults that are aid workers overseas and they don't have to say a damn thing about it. Whereas, you know, we have a bad tweet from a, a state affiliate that got control of the Twitter account. You know what I mean? But unfortunately that's the way it is. It's Mm -hmm. that's the way it is. And that's one of these things like this is how you get when you talk about guys. And and one of the things that I love about Martin Luther King Jr. was that he spent so much time talking about how to protest and not just what to protest, because he was so good at saying, like, this is going to turn people off that are potentially allies and people can yell all day. Well, technically, this is right. Technically, he's like, Mm -hmm. okay, but I'm not here to win technicalities. I'm here to win a revolution. Right. And so, like, I understand, like, if people know that this is not like there are always going to be people that detract from you or people that preach violence, for example. But if you do your best to distance yourself from them, you can kind of you give yourself an advantage. Um, all right. Let's press on. I got two more stories here, and I do not want this show to hit two hours because you all have been so excellently patient. Not that this hasn't been fascinating, but I just think that this is two, two hours a lot to dedicate to one program. I get it. We'll get and it. Dennis and I have almost agreed on everything except for a Supreme Court, a pending Supreme Court decision. Right. So but there's that, a, there, if, <laughs> buy a lottery ticket, folks. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, my mother worked with a guy who's dealing with parental alienation. They talked often because my mother had seen it firsthand my divorce. So she always tried to give him advice and encouragement. His ex would keep taking him to court for more and more money, which was financially ruining him. On the flip side, though, she kept his kids from him and never let him see them. The courts did nothing about the visitation, of course, because they rarely ever do. From time to time, she would call him and be super friendly and nice. 
tell him the kids really miss him and she's sorry for not letting them see him more. She'd invite him to come pick his kids up for a visit, excited to see his children for the first time in years. He'd rush over there. When he arrived, however, her brothers would be waiting and they would beat the crap out of him. He ended up in the hospital a couple times. The police did nothing. It was on her property and they'd claim harassment and threats. And so it was all just self-defense. Eventually he couldn't take it anymore. He'd become a wage slave for his ex to support children that she was teaching to hate him. Her use of the system to continually grind him into something less than dust became too much. He eventually killed himself. Yeah. Um, I don't have obviously this drastic an experience, but I can verify that like if somebody's not paying child support, there's they they're not going to do anything. I mean, in fact, like we've had incidences with with our kids and you know with the ex where it's like, hey, he's not picking them up or he's not relinquishing them or something. It's like, well, we can confirm there's not any danger, so. We're just, you know, that you got, you have to file something like, and then that takes months. So, I mean, you, you can just blatantly ignore, you know, a, a court order for, I mean, six months without the police ever like knocking on your door and doing anything. And then finally, when it comes to that point, if the police actually do get involved, it's like, oh, does your thing say this? Yes. Okay. Well, we're going to take the kids and, and, and do it, but no punishment, nothing that stops them from doing it again. Um, I actually didn't know that you could renegotiate like with force the initial like um, the initial uh, what, what's it custody payments custody support orders yeah yeah they're they're malleable they yeah I, and yeah. so if you make more money they just reapply and they're like I I believe this person's making more money now and so I'm mm -hmm. going to get more money I I actually didn't know that I thought that once you signed it, it was done and we actually just went no. through that recently too. Cause he's making less than he was before. And we're like, but this was the agreement. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter. He's making, yeah. you know, right. he's $100 less, but of course, United he, States. but of course Canada when he's making not. more and he has made more before we didn't right. reapply because we didn't know. And so now it's just what, every time he switches a job or every time he gets a raise or something, we have to reapply no. and be like, Oh, he's making more money now. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. Sorry. Go ahead. It, it, it's it's unfortunate it's the legal process and support and visitation are not tied to each other for a very specific reason if the non-custodial parent becomes unemployed there's no reason that they shouldn't be a part of their child's life um i know this really well um say conversely um if they are paying support but they're a terrible human being and can't be you know can't be trusted with their children you shouldn't have support be that ticket to be able to do whatever you want to that kid uh, with possibility of running off, things like that. So it, it's a, a shitty balance that because uh, non-custodial parents, custodial parents have to play um, with a court system who is honestly just at the point where they rubber stamp most things. Um, there's a lot of, you know, things that, that, that kind of get abused in that process, but it's, it's, it's the same for everything. How many people do we know that are abusing the welfare system? They're abusing the support system. They're doing the exact thing, same things that you're talking about with parental alienation. Uh, the assault thing, I think that's that uh, I, I, I kind of want to say there's, there's gotta be a way to, to handle that, especially if someone's saying, come over, see your kids, here's the text message that show it. And then her sisters or her brothers beat the hell out of me. Um, that, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that we've lost that person because of such an evil piece of crap. Um, but the only, the only, um, you know, solace that I can get from that is 
those kids will realize it at some point. And if they thought, if that parent thought that they were doing something good, you want to see kids who have been denied another parent in their life. You want to see the hatred that they have. You want to see what happens when they get old and they don't care that they're gone and they're hoping they're gone sooner. It's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, it's sad. There, there's, it you know, we, we don't have to, Jamie and I have never, like, we try not to talk about, you know, Nick, the kid's parents at all in front of the kids, because it's just, it doesn't help. I, but you can tell as they get older, I mean, they're, they're 13, 14 now, and they're just kind of like, oh, like, he's got these problems. I don't want to say, like, he's a piece of crap, because even we will well, correct that and be like, no, there's some things he does well. But, like, they they know. They grow up and they realize it. You don't have to teach them like that. It's, we all suck yeah. as parents. Um, and I can tell you because of, you know, my, my ex and I get along uh, reasonably well. We've, we've, you know, our relationship was pretty terrible and I was pretty terrible father would be the first to say it. Um, but our relationship's gotten better over the years and it isn't that, you know, we can't be in the same room. I know people that are like that. Oh, I can't be in the same room as them. Well, I, I could be in the same room and we'll talk and we'll have a good conversation, stuff like that about our grand, our shared grandchildren, which are, are fabulous. Um, but you know, it's the people grow up. And a lot of these times when people are having kids and all these anger and fight, people don't know what the hell they're doing in a lot of cases, especially when they're younger, uh, younger parents are, are going to be very explosive because the emotions are so high. And then after you get 20 years of life behind you, you suddenly realize why do I care what the hell, you know, pants they're wearing to, to pick up? You know, it doesn't freaking matter. Yeah. As long as I get time with the kid, that's all it that matters. So, yeah. and that's what it should be. And I've seen moms who have constantly set fathers like that and abuse the system. But the best way to do is just document and use the system against them because got news for you. Judges sniff out that shit pretty quick. Oops. Sorry. Um, <laughs> So, Reinhold, go ahead and give us your thoughts on this one, and then we'll get to our last story. Oh, you are muted. Sorry, I'm muted. Yeah, I, I see it um, occasionally. I, so I, I don't have you know children myself and family that that sort of thing, but I do have you know people in my life who have situations like that where the kids are fully aware after a certain point what the parents are like right and they they might have bought into certain things and uh for for a while when they were younger and it upset it, it really hurt their their growing up because of it uh but once they get of a certain age they kind of start to realize what's going on and um i know people who um won't speak to their other parent because of things that have happened there's they're just kicking them out of their lives and then um, my wife's situation with her parents and, and, and everything else. I, I see all that. That's why I am so glad and lucky that I grew up in a situation where I never had any of that or had to deal with any of it. Um, I had, you know, I have my own experiences growing up and issues and, and things I had to deal with and difficulties, but it was never family. That was the problem in my, my growing up. So I, I have a hard time, I, I see this. So I see the things going on. Like I said, that I was talking earlier, or said mentioned earlier about how Canada doesn't do that renegotiating your child support because of the story from Dave Foley and what happened to him, where he was he was um, 
divorced at a time when he was making a lot of money on news radio and kids in the hall was still doing residuals and everything else. And he was making a lot of money. And then that dries up. He's an actor. And he went back to try to get that renegotiated. And they're like, Nope, you need to still pay this amount of money. And there's no way he could do it. He had to leave the country and not be able to go back to Canada as a result, not being able to see his kids for fear of getting arrested and thrown in jail. So it's the bureaucracy again, you know, issues that should be looked at and, and, and with care and concern and trying to do what's best for the, for each side ends up becoming rubber stamped bureaucratic. This is how things go. One size fits all because they don't have the time or the care to do it. So that's the nature of government. Yep. All right. Last one. I'm a part-time financial coach. I got into it because I made a lot of financial mistakes in the past. I wanted to help others avoid the mistakes I made and do the best they can for their families. I'm also a licensed broker and investment advisor because I wanted to be able to help my clients with investment advice as well, which is illegal without the proper licenses. In addition to paying substantial licensing fees on a regular basis, my state also requires me to pay what they call a professional privilege tax in the amount of $400 every year. I call this because they can tax because I can't think of a good reason for this tax other than that they think they can get away with it charging financial advisors who are generally perceived as having high incomes. While financial advisors certainly have high incomes, most people don't realize it takes several years of building a practice to achieve that. Uh, New financial advisors often make very little, especially part-time ones. This unnecessary tax incentivizes FAs to sell expensive products that aren't in their client's best interest, just so they can be profitable. I refuse to do so, but I'm sure there are many who have succumbed to the temptation. See Wells Fargo. It's just another example of government hurting small business owners and consumers. Um, You know, this is one that surprises me uh, because they actually go after this pretty aggressively. Um, I I know a little bit about the financial world. I used to be um, uh, mortgage lending, which is different, but I worked in the bank and, you know, I was a banker before that. I set up accounts and I can certainly see how the incentive structure is what it's where it's at. Um, uh, The best example I have was kind of the one that made national news like a decade ago. And it's if you gave like veterinary advice over the phone, like just been like, oh, yeah, don't don't give your dog that like it's illegal unless you have a license, even if it's just. Even if it's just like you being like, yeah, don't give your dog a chicken bone. And like it actually became a whole case and and like got prosecuted and everything like that. But the fact that they go after these things and and I mean, as a restaurant, we have like the business fees. Like I have to pay all these licenses to show that I'm doing the right thing. So this is what I do have experience with. I have to pay all these licenses and fees and everything. And I'm like, okay, but then there's just the to be a restaurant license and i'm just like but all the rest of it like i i I did the health one i did the safety one i did the electrical one i did the plan like i paid for all these and then it's like but if you're gonna be a restaurant and it's just that kicker at the end of the year it's like you know five thousand dollars a year and you're just like this one's for nothing like this one is just to exist like the rest of it is in place the health stuff that you care about is in place this is just a to exist license it is ridiculous i'm gonna give each of you one minute brian go ahead and then say goodbye to everybody as well i i don't even know i i just seeing people get penalized for just common sense on on things there are plenty of hucksters out there there are plenty of um 
psychophants and things like that that just want to take people's money. Um, this is kind of where the government's terrible at it. Once again, picking winners and losers. Um, we live in a very interconnected social media age where someone can say a terrible thing uh, that they had a terrible experience with somebody. Um, why can't we just let society fix that one itself as opposed to trying to wrap it up in licensing and other stupid crap like that? So, so I, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, <laughs> Rhino, go ahead. <laughs> so you mean cancel culture? We should go with that, right? Oh, if you want to do that, yeah, sure. But there's a small <laughs> difference. That is. Yeah, but no, 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 no. No, no, we can't get into this with less than 30 seconds to go. Reinhold, <laughs> Reinhold, you get one minute. We're not talking about cancel culture. We're uh, talking about financial um, stuff. Atomic bombs. No, go. Well, no, the occupational licensing has, has always been just a horrible situation. It's always used by politicians to um, manipulate things that they shouldn't be manipulating and getting involved in stuff they shouldn't be getting involved in. There's no reason why somebody who's trying to cut somebody's hair should have more requirement for more training than someone who's, you know, working to be a veterinarian or a doctor or something like that. It's just police officer. Silly. It's idiotic. Uh, Police officer is a great example. Um, So we, we need, the only way we can change any of that is to just shine a light on it again and try and, and try and get that out there in the world and try to, you know, with the way we're interconnected now with social media, these things are easier to knock and fight down, we just have to have the will to do it, and we have to have a majority of people thinking that way before it's going to change. True, Brian Reinhold, thank you so much for lending me a couple hours here on your uh, Saturday. I guess for me, morning for you, afternoon now. Uh, happy birthday, Brian! Thank you. Uh, I hope you have a good one. Listeners, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, Patreon sponsors, I don't remember every single one of your names, but Chris gets tears in his eyes every time he think he talks about you. Thank you so much for keeping this afloat, letting us do our thing. We love you so much. I appreciate you listening to these stories. Again, the whole reason behind this is this is why it's personal. Um, all these stories you heard are are close to us. They've affected people that we love, and that's why we fight. Thank you so much uh, for being part of that fight. Love you so much. Have a good one. Bye.